When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogel on the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade and I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Vogel, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how you doing these days? Oh man, I'm doing great. Holiday season, always a time of good cheer and uh, remembering those things that are most important in our lives, not those things that are really superficial and don't matter. However, there's a still a lot of things that are happening in the short term that still are uh, distracting and, you know, keeping us busy. You know, the pivot on the Fed and then the unpivot by the next Fed guy and then the uh, interest rates. Are they going up? Are they going down? Is the market overpriced? Is it underpriced? Is it still going to be a rally? Is it still going to be a recession? <laughs> I mean, there's still all kinds of stuff to keep your mind occupied oh, besides yeah. Christmas. And unfortunately, I think that's kind of the unfortunate part about the Christmas season, especially what we're going through right now economically, is it really does give us uh, too much distraction so we can't focus on the, the season. Actually, and right. that's unfortunate, but uh, it is what it is. We've, we've got to pay attention to both things because, uh, you know, money makes the world go round and we won't have a good Christmas next year if we don't preserve what we've got this year, right? So let's block out the noise here for the next couple of days. Of course, Christmas is only but a couple of days away. So we hope everybody's having a great Christmas season and we really do appreciate you listening to us here on Premier Retirement. But as you said, there is a lot to talk about. Jerome Powell, I mean, he's in the news again. He is saying that it is uh, possible that he will cut rates, cut interest rates in the coming year. So talk a little bit about what those interest rate cuts mean to us listening to the program today. I don't know if it was just, you know, trying to give a catalyst to fuel the Santa Claus rally. I think, you know, you remember last week I said, okay, so he said what he said, but it's been priced into the market already, yet the market continues to go forward. I've said it time and time again, and I've heard it by really smart people, investors in the investment world say, you know, the market can be irrational a lot longer than you can probably be liquid. And, right. you know, we don't want to make stupid mistakes. Yet at the same time, everybody has that fear of missing out on the upside. Before Powell even made his statement a couple of weeks ago that, you know, they might actually be reducing interest rates rather than just staying on pause for a while, he never gave an indication that it would happen in March or it happened in April, June, or at the end of the year. He just said, next year we could see some uh, reductions, maybe as many as three. Now, there's a couple of reasons why we may see reductions, and that is because inflation is uh, getting back under control, but it isn't. It actually popped up a teeny bit, but it's still in the high threes. It's still closer to four than two. And uh, we still have a lot of work to do, which he said. And so did the New York Fed chair that spoke a couple days later uh, after uh, Powell did and said, well, wait a minute. Hey, we didn't make a promise that we would do it anytime soon or any particular time. In fact, Jerome Powell's comments were only if we get inflation under wraps and if we see things slowing down to a point where it makes sense. This whole thing is based on, and if people, you know, quit trying to read between the lines, they don't peel back the layer 
layers of the onion. They just like make all these, you know, shoot from the hip comments and knee jerk reactions to stuff he says without seeing the whole picture. And I think that's just kind of the flavor of the day. Nobody wants to, you know, look at the whole picture. They just want to go on a whim or whatever the market says or whatever the TV says or whatever Jerome Powell says, follow the Fed, whatever. And then you've got him saying, well, wait a minute, you know, here's the reason is we expect a recession and we're trying to not make it a hard landing. Now, he's one of the only Fed chairs that have even mentioned the word hard landing as if it were a possibility. And he did so up to only a few weeks ago. But then they were hoping for a soft landing or even a no landing. Of course, Wall Street saying, oh, soft landing or no landing. Well, let's just look at the last two hard landings we had, the 2000 crash and the 07, 08 crash. The harshest estimate of what was going to happen is we may have a soft landing. The Fed said that. Everybody said that. Wall Street said that. And before each one, everybody was so enthusiastic about the market. The sentiment was high. The positive feelings were high. Nobody had a, a negative thought about the market right before it crashed. Well, we're there again. So, you know, I'm walking a thin line trying to, you know, make clients are saying, why are we getting this, you know, upside? Well, the market's still risky, even up to what, just recently, just, a, I mean, days ago, we were at, well, before Fed said we weren't raising interest rates, I believe maybe even a month, month and a half, the odds based on a graph or a chart, or it's, it's more of a, a historical assessment of indicators that there's a recession indicator index. And it goes along with all those things I've been talking about for the last several months. And it is a certain possibility we'll go into a recession. It was 70-30 like a month ago, right before, uh, you know, when Powell said, oh, we'll just put them on pause. Then it went to eh, 50-50. And then uh, now it's kind of like once he said, okay, we might lower rates. Everybody's like, oh, great. There's only about a 30% chance of the recession. Well, there's still a 30% chance of recession. That's still pretty high. And a recession doesn't necessarily mean the market crashes, but it does usually mean things are slowing down enough to where a savvy investor who sees that earnings aren't growing as fast as they were, unemployment is going up to five or 6% or even 3.9 or four instead of 3.0 or 3.2 or whatever. When they see those things happening, that puts a little bit of fear in the market. And those people that you know aren't necessarily in it for the long haul, the day traders, those people that are basically buying up the market on rumor or on expectation and actually overpaying, again, paying a very high multiple of earnings for the stocks at today's prices based on the fact that they are sure that the you know they've already got three or four price decreases already priced into the market. So should we buy right now or should we wait till the decreases happen before we're willing to pay this price? In other words, we're overbuying. And if we end up getting rate decreases or rate reductions in interest rate, which I believe we probably will have, it's because we're going through a recessionary reset phase where you know we are experiencing slower growth, higher unemployment, recessionary factors that are still in play. Now, if you look at the recession indicator that I just mentioned historically, if it ever reaches a level above 30, it has historically always followed up with a recession. Now, it's still around 30, supposedly, but there's about 50-50. If you look at how many mutual fund managers think that we're going to have a negative growth next year, 50% thinks we'll have positive growth next year, 50% thinks not, yet most mutual fund managers, just because they have to, still have to kind of buy because they're supposed to. But the smart money, like Warren Buffett, I mean, he's buying a few of his staple stocks, like Occidental, I think he put more money into recently, but he still has raised over $150 billion in, in cash. Uh, he, he believes the market has a better buying opportunity ahead, or he wouldn't have done that. I think there's about 250 billion. I think it was uh, reported. I'm, I'm, I've got a pretty good memory. I can see the words on the page, but uh, I believe it was 250 billion dollars in cash was raised. You know, this year, 
in order to go back into the market at a, at a more opportune time. The December, as of about a week ago, the December money flowing back into the market was about 20 billion. Okay, that's good, but 20 billion is still less than 10% of what was taken off in cash. Now, if all that money goes back into the market, yeah, oh boy, Katie bar the door, we're going up. I mean, it's, I mean, there's no way we can have that much buying, but I think that money is sitting on the sidelines because smart money, like Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, I mean, who has the most of smart money, including a lot of market makers and mutual fund managers, hedge fund guys, people I've quoted in the last several months are still very uh, a little bit you know uncertain about the market i think the only thing that has manifest itself as far as a, a good buying opportunity based on what i'm seeing is maybe some value plays or things that are actually fairly valued that are finally getting a little bit of support now that we know that the fed's going to lower interest rates well that's great they probably will but that is probably on the back of more recessionary times and some you know, negative information that often means the market sells off or has some weak periods. But right now, hey, the momentum's up. I mean, what can you say? I mean, we've got that Santa Claus rally. It started in November. Honestly, I thought we were pretty much done and Santa Claus rally happened in November. It was over and we probably have some correction this month. You know, I can be wrong, but I'd rather still be right. And we are because we're still at least making good fixed interest rates on our money while we're waiting for this market to shake out. My job, and I've said this over and over again, I am not the let's just park it there for the long term and grow it. If, if you're that in, in investor, and we have some that are younger people that are still working or people that have enough money in income that they don't need to worry about the market can the whole long term. But my job for most of our clients and most of the people that listen to the radio show, I think who respond to this are looking for the same thing. And that is, you know, I want to make money when the opportunity looks you know, more probable than a 50-50 chance or more probable than not probable that I can make money, but I don't want to lose, you know, 20% or 30% or a portion, even 10% of my nest egg if the market gets skittish and, you know, all the economic indicators, recession indicators point to, there's still time over the next six or eight months to, you know, find some settling out of all these recessionary factors that have historically ended up in recession. We're not out of the woods yet. Even though the market goes up, even if it's irrational, I can't stop it from going up. You know, honestly, people who bet on the market going up were speculating that it would go up. There was no knowledge that Powell would say what he said a couple of weeks ago. There's no um, knowledge yet that he's really going to lower the interest rates. In fact, the New York Fed chair said, you know, whoa, not so fast. Let's wait. Let's not be, uh, you know, so eager to just assume that, you know, the market's going to the moon because we might lower rates. You know, we're still watching inflation. It's still not in control. You know, hey, you know, put, put the brakes on here. And the market put the brakes on for about like, what, an hour? <laughs> you know, then it went back yeah. up. Honestly, <laughs> I, I am baffled, but I'm also, are we will, are, are we wanting to jump in when they've priced in some things that I guess people speculated on? And they're glad they were right. But as a financial advisor that's here to protect the hundreds of thousands or hundreds of millions or somewhere in between that you've saved for your lifetime of retirement that might last you 20 or 30 years, I still believe the market's a little bit too risky. And I believe that just because the Fed's not raising interest anytime soon or even lowering rates, I think that means that the economy isn't as robust as it was. And it may be an effort and it may work as far as creating a soft landing or you know even somehow getting out of the mess. But until it actually happens and the predictions have, have basically manifest them as truth that they actually are fact now, gives me a better time to go in the market. Now, I know that might seem to some people, oh, you're getting in late and getting out late and you're, you're chasing. No, I don't want to chase markets because I think if we get in right now, we may be getting it, it at a, a, you know, a short term or a, a intermediate high range where we might get some softening and, and, and find a better time to enter the market after some sort of recessionary pressure happens next year. 
We're talking with Jeff Ogan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also Mesa. We're talking about the possibility of the Fed reducing interest rates in the coming year. Once again, if you'd like to get in and sit down with Jeff and talk about your individual situation and how those rate cuts could affect you and your retirement journey, the number to call to get your complimentary consultation, 520-780-9059. It's 520-780-9059. Jeff, if the Fed does cut rates here in the coming year, that is going to mean that bonds are a little more favorable too, right? Well, yeah, and that, that's really the the play here. I think next year, if we're in, if we extend the uh, amount of time we hold in bonds, uh, like instead of holding three month bonds that uh, are paying five and a half percent, or at least over five still, you know, the ten year Treasury just dipped below four in the last few weeks for the first time. What in eight or ten months? Okay, that's not really a long period of time. But remember that the bond indexes for intermediate long term bonds went down somewhere between fifteen and twenty percent on average over the last year and a half to two years because interest rates were rising, that they were being forced up. So bonds work kind of like a teeter-totter. You're on opposite sides. Interest rates go down. The other side of the teeter-totter goes up. That means, you know, the bond prices go up when interest rates go down and vice versa. So, I mean, we've already seen that just in the expectation that there's going to be rate cuts that most bond indexes have gone up six or eight percent. I mean, we are currently extending our outlook for bonds as being, you know, really our more aggressive and more profitable play next year especially in the fact that there will be rate cuts. Also, if there is some sort of a sell-off or recessionary pressures or even a, a hint of it, I think even smart money is going to move out of the market and into bonds as not only a hedge, which it can be in a good interest rate environment, which we're kind of getting back to, honestly, a, a more fair interest rate. Around 4 or 5% makes more sense than zero interest or 10% interest. I mean, the economy can move along where the interest rates are right now or maybe even a little bit lower. But If the Fed has to lower the interest rates in order to stimulate the market, stimulate the economy and give companies a chance to not go through a massive recession, then, you know, bonds are going to be the play. Bonds are going to be awesome. I mean, you know, just like they can make eight or 10 or lose 20, they can make 20 or 30 if interest rates go back down to, you know, two or three or zero. I don't think they'll go that high, but I still think there's five or 10% in, in the bond market with these rate cuts that are announced next year. Again, we've already had some of it. It's already, you know, taken uh, into consideration by a lot of the speculators to move into longer term bonds. And there may still be some uh, upside. I believe the upside in the uh, the one to three years, the five to seven, the more intermediate and even the 10, even the long bond has some opportunity if we do get that interest rate reinversion where the short-term rates do end up falling below the long-term interest rates. At that point, long-term interest rates are going to be very attractive and somebody will pay a lot more for a bond portfolio or an ETF or even a bond that will guarantee three and a half or 4% long-term, you know, instead of, you know, short-term rates or lower interest rates that might be paying, you know, two or three again. And I don't know if they're going to go that low. I kind of think they won't. But that said, I think bonds are a safer play. I don't think uh, the Fed is uh, anticipating raising rates anytime soon, at least not next year. However, this is what's going to happen. If the Fed cuts rates next year, it's probably going to be to avert a recession or make a hard landing, a soft landing. If that happens, those rates will stimulate the economy, will stimulate the market, and the market will probably take off like gangbusters again. That might be the time. And again, some of that's already priced in the market. That might might be the time again to uh, take the ride on the upside. However, that will result in increased inflation again. Inflation will get way out of whack. It's, if it even approaches the 2% level, which I just don't think they're going to get there for a year or more. But if it does approach the 2 to 2 something, even below 3 level, and they start stimulating the economy with rate cuts because um, you know growth is still lagging, 
unemployment is still high. People still can't afford stuff. Even if they say there's deflation, there's still 20 or 30% more for stuff you buy on a regular basis. You know, gas has come down a little bit. Yeah, I see that. And that's probably changing the core inflation numbers. But in reality, people are still struggling. The masses of people are still struggling. We're still going to see some hard times. But if the Fed lowers interest rates too much too fast, just like they raised them a little too much too fast, and it was uh, not good for the market, but it did lower interest rates, the opposite is going to happen. They increase you know, liquidity by cutting rates. They're going to increase inflation, and they're going to have to do the same thing. They might have to do it even harder and faster the next round than they did last round. I mean, they, these are just things that you have to think about and consider. You can't just take this market day to day. You know, I'm trying to look at this market in a macro uh, sense of, okay, you're going to retire for 30 years. We've got to make sure that during these next year or two, when the you know interest rates and the Fed is playing all these games and the market is really uncertain to not be too exposed to those big losses that may happen, and they still may. Now, obviously, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to stay out of the market forever because there's always going to be you know, good times and bad times. You know, No, but there are times when the odds of winning are more than 50% instead of under 50%. Just because the odds are 10% and somebody wins doesn't mean it's a safe place to go play, right? And I think, uh, you know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but you know, I think for the smart people that I read comments about, that have amassed huge fortunes over the years and managed huge fortunes over the years and helped people make huge fortunes over the years are not happy with the market and they see a lot of risk. And honestly, I've learned to be on the side of smart money rather than, you know, irrational money. And if that's not your forte, then maybe we're not a match as far as, you know, working together. But like I say, you know, we have to be careful. We don't want to lose your money. We don't want to, you know, run out of money. We don't want to mess up our retirement because we get greedy and want to jump on the ship after it's already left the dock, right? It ends ends badly. So again, I think we have to uh, just look at the whole picture. I think bonds, as you mentioned, are going to be a good play. And some economists even think that the rate cuts because of more than a soft or no landing will cause them to be more steep than otherwise expected. If they are, man, you're going to love holding bonds. We're talking with Jeff Ogan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and Mesa. Once again, the telephone number to get in and talk to Jeff, 520-780-9059 for your no-cost, no-obligation retirement roadmap. Jeff, let's talk about the case of the week. You've got a new one this week. Well, yeah, I've always got another one. After 30 or so years in this business, yeah, these are repetitive stories. So I'm going to talk about somebody who's more of a mainstream type client. I I got a couple of calls last week or a couple of clients came in and says, well, I don't know if you want me because I don't have $25 million like the example you named on the radio. Well, okay, that's an estate planning case where it's a huge tax problem that we talked about. And I wanted to put it out there that, yeah, we can help those tax problems when sometimes CPAs and accountant tells you how much taxes you owe, but they don't tell you how you could have prevented it or how to provide it in the future. So moving back to just kind of a typical retirement plan where somebody saves in a 401k, they save a little bit of IRA money, you know, they got this job that pays pretty well. They've paid off all their bills and now they just want to live on the yeah, six or $800,000 that they have saved. Okay. So we're not talking millions. We're talking more of a kind of a, a, a middle-class common amount. Now, these people retired uh, just right around the age of 60. And for the last couple of years, they've been you know, traveling, building a house and doing some fun things. But they've also, because they've been building a house, they've been taking their money out of some of their investment accounts. Now, of course, over 
20 or 30 years, we expect maybe a 6 or 8% return is potentially maybe 4 or 5%. I think on this plan, we expected, you know, about 4% a year is all we really needed for this plan to work. Except the fact that over the last few years that they've been spending money, the market's been kind of choppy. We've been out of the market most of the time. We've been making a few percent, but because they spent some of their principal, now they're saying, okay, we need X amount. And instead of having closer to a million, now they've got roughly $500,000 left to, to live on. Respectively, they're 62 and 64 coming up on their next birthdays. Again, they've retired a few years ago. So they're saying, well, we don't want to take Social Security until you know it's maxed out. So uh, you know we need three or $4,000 a month off of this 500,000 ish in investments. Uh, now they do have a LERP that will generate, you know, maybe 20 or 30% of that. They've got some IRAs and 401ks and annuities that can generate the rest. But if they wait to even full retirement age at 67 for each of them, they're going to be down to their last $100,000 in income. Oh, but I don't want to take the hit on Social Security. Well, let's just put this back in perspective. So I'm, I'm giving you kind of more of a planning like, why would you take Social Security early? So you don't have to spend your money. And so you can sit on that $500,000, make their four or 5% and grow it. And when the market gets better, take advantage of those upsides when you actually have savings that'll grow. Yeah, but Social Security grow. Well, consider this. Over the next six or eight years, you're going to take Social Security. Now, all that money is money essentially that you've invested or don't have to spend out of your investments. I think people forget to see that picture. And I want to reiterate that because it's a it's something you have to look at in the total planning process. When I do comprehensive plans, we look at things like that. Now, if these guys still had their million or million and a half or they've grown their estate, and they already had their house paid off. They didn't want to build a vacation home up the mountains and all the other things that they spent a lot of their retirement funds on, then it would be a totally different story. Sure, yeah, spend your million two down to 600,000 and take your max social security. You'll never really need your assets anymore. And if you convert them all to Ross or LERPs, you won't pay taxes on all that money anyway. Well, what a scenario that would be. But their situation doesn't warrant that. I know I've talked about situations that do. This one doesn't. It makes total sense to take social security right now. Yeah, okay, so it's going to be a total of, you know, maybe 60,000 a year on social security you know if they had waited it would have been uh, more like 70 okay is that really a big deal when you get an extra six or seven years of extra income between now and then because you know you didn't wait i mean it's it's not that big of a trade-off in order to have still have four or five hundred thousand dollars in assets when you're 70 than under a hundred just because you wanted a big social security paycheck. The other thing I will, I will address social security is, you know, the, the trust fund's going broke. I don't think they're going to cut social security, but they may make adjustments for people that they consider are rich. What if they make an adjustment of anybody making over $75,000 a year total or paying taxes on that amount, you know, doesn't get a cost of living adjustment this year or only gets uh, 90% of what social security had originally promised them in favor of maybe letting the little old lady lives in a shoe or lives in a little trailer park park model that's making 1200 a month on social security that couldn't possibly you know exist with a rate decrease they give her a little bit more in favor of giving you a little bit less i think there's going to be i mean we know that there's kind of a socialism focus on how the government works i mean it, it already is in a way that we consider almost everything a progressive tax and redistribution of wealth in one way or another i uh, don't think it won't happen or can happen to social security i think it's very possible so i think when you look at your overall picture it's okay to consider taking social security early in favor of letting those assets that you have grow and if they're indexed, like LERPs and index annuities that we use, they're going to grow when the market gets good, and they're not going to go down when the market doesn't go down. The nice part about them spending some of their money is most of this was already locked in gains from prior, and they didn't have to take any losses because they were principal protected. They did use principal, however, but that's not a loss. It means you're not locking in a loss because you didn't lose money. So again, 
Overall, protect what you need to protect. Don't spend what you need to live on. Don't spend your nest egg. If something ever happened in the future where you needed three or four or five hundred thousand dollars and you didn't have it, you'd be really upset at yourself for not taking Social Security early. So it's okay to take it early. It's okay to look at your overall plan. It's okay to make an income plan make sense to you, but also keep you flush enough to cover those future expenses, especially those unknowns that we never what are going to happen or when. Questions or comments about our show, once again, that number to call 520-780-9059. Use that if you'd like to get in and talk to Jeff about your financial journey, offering a no-cost, no-obligation retirement review. 520-780-9059. You can also request it online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, time for a break. We come back, listener questions and more when our show continues right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost Premier Retirement Roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shea. Thank you so much for joining us here on Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. My name is Jeff Shea. That's right. Two Jeffs in the radio program. We appreciate you being with us every week here on 790 KNST. Once again, I want to remind you that if you've missed any part of the show today or you want to hear it all over again, we're also a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search for Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your journey towards a prosperous retirement. Jeff, in this segment, we do listener questions, so we'll kick it off with Lowell, who's listening to us in Tucson. And Lowell writes, I have approximately $300,000 in six-month CDs. These are paying four and three-quarters percent interest. I also have about $75,000 in some stocks that are holding their own but not doing much of anything else. And I have about $100,000 in cash in case of an emergency. His house and cars are paid for in full. My wife and I aren't wealthy. Between the two of us, our monthly income is about $3,500 a month, but with a house and cars paid for, there's nothing we really need. We're both in our mid-70s and would like to have traveled, but my wife has a chronic illness, so we can't do that. My question is, are CDs a good investment right now? The CDs that I currently have are due to mature in March. Do I continue to invest in six-month CDs or do I invest in something else? Well, here goes. It depends. It depends. Okay. <laughs> That's always the answer, right? <laughs> okay. So, well, congratulations on being able to live within your budget, saving money and uh, living uh, below your means so you could actually have extra and you know, not feel stressed out about $3,500 a month. It's nice that you don't have any bills and you can do that. I think it's wise that you have 100000 in, say, cash in case of an emergency or 75000 However, I would say your $100,000 is in the same category as your six-month CDs. I mean, that $100,000 is probably not making any interest and you should invest that. Now, having said that, I think the 75000 if that's your uh, fun money, the risk money, the upside money where you can, you know, try to buy low, sell high and or just have a few favorite stocks like Apple that you've owned for 30 years and you just want to keep riding it out till you die. Whatever. You know, 75,000 is not a life-changing event based on what you're telling me here to have at risk, but it looks like you don't want to risk all your other money. I think CDs are at a good rate right now. 4, 4.5 4.75. You will notice that on the renewal in March, I would uh, venture to speculate, and I'm going to speculate, but uh, you know, I think the odds are way in my favor on this one, that interest rates are going to be lower. Fed already said they're lowering interest rates. Uh, banks don't typically have to buy up their rates in order to get your money to go to them. If they can compete with a bond or something you have to buy through a broker, they're going to typically you know, get the money at the same interest rate. So as interest rates come down, so will CD rates. To answer your question as far as you know, what else could you do, and you're in your mid-70s, there's still some really good plays in the 
longer term world where you can lock in rates closer to 6%, much higher than you're getting on your CD. Now, if something should happen to you, depending on uh, you know how old you are when you purchase them, you get a waiver of penalties for holding these longer term investments. These longer term investments are multi-year guaranteed annuities. Multi-year guarantee, you can get a five-year annuity in the high fives. It used to be six just like a month ago. They've already gone down below fives. They'll probably go down to the mid fives and below five probably within the next year. If you want to lock in at least five years of interest rates at about point and a half higher than you're getting right now, uh, or about at least 1% higher than you're getting right now, and you won't get that rate for five years on CDs, I don't believe, you could lock that in. Now, what about if you have an emergency? Well, you've got that $100,000. Put $80,000 of that in a maybe $420,000 each CDs that mature you know, every three months or something like that. Just ladder them. And that way you can keep on rolling over to the current interest rates on a CD, which is probably higher than your cash. Still make some money on your bank money. That's still as good as gold when it comes to emergencies. In fact, the worst, a CD could even charge you if you bailed out early a six months interest. That's the most they can charge you legally. I actually sat down with an FDIC guy that uh, and had to know that answer to the question when I was uh, starting a bank years ago. But bottom line is you've got some $75,000, you've got another $100,000 in liquidity. If it's an emergency like a healthcare situation, you can blow out of those uh, multi-year guaranteed annuities most often. And you have to check and make sure it's the, the, the kind you want with no penalty if you needed it for healthcare, long-term care, or early demise. So uh, you wouldn't really be tied up. You can typically get about 10% of that account out every year. So that frees up another, say, $30,000 per year that you could get out of the annuity if you wanted to pad or replenish your savings account or add to CDs if for whatever reason they go up. So again, depending on your situation, it sounds like you want to be really conservative. Honestly, the best long-term play is not in bonds or CDs right now. It's in insurance companies that invest in higher yielding bonds guarantee the interest rate to you based on the fact that they know that they have a a laddered bond portfolio that's guaranteeing them certain amount of income over the next five and even 10 years. If you want to take a slightly lowered rate, you can still get uh, five or better on a 10-year multi-year guaranteed CD if you want to go out even longer. So there are options. There are safer options. You don't have to put all that much money in a bank. And besides that, 300,000 in CDs, depending on how you have it structured, plus your 100,000 in the bank. If it's all in the same bank, you may be limited to $250,000 of FDIC insurance should that bank get in trouble. So again, keep that in mind. Uh, Insurance companies have kind of different structure as far as how they become safe. And that is that they actually have your money. They have a reserve plus a surplus. And you know, just really don't have the same chance of having to make a claim on a loss as you would a bank through FDIC. So again, options to look at. Well, thank you for listening to us in Tucson. And of course, we'll be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. Jeff, our next question here is going to be Dale in Green Valley. And he writes, recently, it was mentioned to me that I could offset some of my Roth conversion income with a contribution to a donor advised fund. A few questions. Can you contribute from an IRA or a 401k? Number two, pros and cons for doing this. And number three, are there limits or other considerations? Well, uh, it is cool to be able to contribute pre-tax money like IRA, 401k, other qualified plans that uh, have not been taxed directly to a charity. And it could be a donor advised fund. It could be some other nonprofit, your church, whatever charity. Typically, they would have a form. They send it to your charity of choice or, or, or you take your charity of choice. They send a form to your qualified account and make the direct request for whatever amount you want to put in there. There are some restrictions. You have to be 70 years old before you get this provision of direct contributions from IRAs to charities. The other thing you're restricted as is the most you could ever contribute to a charity and get a deduction would be 50% of your adjusted gross income. So, you know, if you're making 100 grand a year, you're limited to 50 grand in that uh, contribution or that deduction. Now you would get it, that deduction would actually be passed through to your tax return 
in that it would exceed at least your $28,000 roughly standard deduction, and you get a deduction on the rest of that if you did that with regular income. But if you did it straight from your IRA, you would get that complete charitable contribution. You would also get to use your $28,000 standard deduction if you didn't have any other itemized deductions that would otherwise have used it up. You know, you get an extra tax deduction that way. So it is a very popular and very smart thing to do from a tax planning point of view. But remember, there are some restrictions. You can only contribute so much. You can only do it after age 70 if you want to do a direct contribution. And the other way you could do it is, you know, just set up a donor advised fund and just put other assets in there to get the offsetting tax deduction that you need from, uh, you know, whatever conversion that you're making with your Roth. So Again, there's different ways to skin that cat. Don't know how old you are. Don't know how much you have in each of those accounts. Don't know if it even makes sense to do a Roth conversion. Probably does while taxes are low, depending on your situation. But if you're working and you have a high income right now and you want to add a Roth conversion to that, if it's going to push you into a new tax bracket and you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you retire, might not be a good to do a Roth conversion anyway. You might want to look at some of these other direct contributions in the future when you're able to do that uh, when you get a little closer to RMD time. So again, it's really kind of age-based and uh, your overall tax situation-based. Dale, thank you for sending in that question. And of course, we'll be sending you Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. And thanks for listening to us in Green Valley. Next question, Jeff is Austin listening to us in Sabino Canyon. And he says, I'm turning 68 shortly and plan to wait to claim Social Security at age 70 to maximize the monthly benefit. I also plan to retire in March, if not sooner, so in three months or less. Does withdrawing from my traditional IRAs, the current balance is $215,000, to reduce the income tax on my RMDs outweigh the benefits? of keeping those withdrawals instead and growing tax deferred? My understanding is that if I withdraw amounts up to my standard deduction, then those amounts would be tax-free. Well, essentially, yes, the last part of that question, you know, caught my mind because it's, it's a yeah, tax strategy. If you can live, let's say you have uh, savings in the bank or other things that have already been taxed, you want to live on those, plus you take another $28,000 out of your IRAs to live on, they would be tax-free. In fact, you'd be at a 10% tax bracket for a little while after that, and then a 12% tax bracket, and then, you know, 22 and 24 after that. So, I mean, you might want to, depending on the amount you have in those funds, I mean, it might be smart for you to actually max out your 24% tax bracket. I don't uh, remember hearing if you're single or married, but let's just say it's a $28,000 deal because you're married. You're going to have about $350,000 in taxable income that maxes out a rate of 24% in taxes. Now, if your future income because of maxing out your Social Security plus uh, pensions and your RMDs are going to force you into a a tax bracket where you're going to always be in the 25 bracket, it might be smarter for you not just to live on that, but to actually pay tax from zero to 24, somewhere in the maybe overall range of 18 to 20 on the total amount and be able to never pay tax on that money again. You can do Roth conversions that way, but that'll give you just between this year, if you can hurry, this year, next year, and the year after, that would give you close to a million dollars in future taxable income that you could pay taxes now on. If you have money outside of those accounts, I would not convert to a Roth or do stuff where you actually have to spend the money you converted and pay tax on the money that you're getting taxed on out of the funds that you converted to the other IRA or the other type of product. In other words, if you have after-tax money, then use that and leave all that money that you convert in a tax-free account 
whether it be a Roth, LERP, or other type of uh, investment account where you don't ever pay taxes again. So be careful about how you do it, but you're on the right track as far as your way of thinking. I would expand your way of thinking to consider actually taking more than is required right now, depending on how much you have in IRAs. If it's in the millions, you'd probably need a more aggressive tax strategy. If it's a couple hundred thousand dollars, and you're just going to use it up between now and the time you take Social Security, then yeah, no big deal. Just do it. And you know, try to stay within that, that standard deduction if you can, and uh, if it's not going to hurt you in the future with RMDs. So again, it depends on what your RMD liability is going to be, what tax bracket you're in right now, what other income sources you might have. And if we look at the whole picture, I can give you a much better answer than I'm able to do right here on the radio. Austin, thank you so much for listening to us in Sabino Canyon. And of course, we will send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. If you're listening to us and you say, I've got a question for Jeff, well, you can send it to us by going to the website, which is premret.com, B-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Send it to us from there. And if we use it on the air, of course, we'll send you out Jeff's book, Retirement the Road Ahead. You're listening to Premier Retirement with Jeff Fogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning in Tucson and also up in Mesa. We appreciate you joining us. And if you'd like to get in and sit down with Jeff and talk about your individual situation, no time like the present to schedule your appointment. Get 2024 off to the right start by talking about your retirement journey and your financial situation. You can get that appointment by calling 520-780-9059. Now, it's not going to cost you a dime. It is totally complimentary just to casual conversation. 520-780-9059. No cost, no obligation for that. You can also request it online at premret.com. That is P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, I think a lot of people wait till it's too late towards the end of the year to talk about tax planning tips and some things that they can do to save money. I think the more prudent thing to do would to begin tax planning at the beginning of the year. So being that we're here at the end of the year and the beginning of the year is right around the corner, let's talk about some of the things that you may want to consider as 2023 turns to 2024. The first one I would think is a Roth conversion. Can you come in on that? Yeah, the Roth conversion, now it is probably more appropriate for you to meet at the end of the year with your advisor to find out how much to put in the Roth conversion because by then you know exactly what income you've had and you've probably received your last paycheck or you've received your last uh, Social Security check and anything that's going to be taxed this year, you usually get by the first part of December. So this is a great time to come back and just make sure the numbers are correct, either with your CPA, with us, with, as your financial advisor, with our internal house CPA. But the plan to do conversions should take place whenever you set up your plan in the first place. If you come in right now and say, hey, I want to do a tax plan, a Roth conversion plan. I mean, it's going to take me a few days just to get, you know, time to put it out on a spreadsheet and figure out what the plan makes sense for you and you're not going to get it done. So if you've waited to now to even start planning, too late. If you've already planned to make a conversion, you just want to know the amount. I mean, yeah, we could even help you whether you're a client or not. But again, we're pretty booked, so it's probably a, a too big of an ask. If, don't don't be calling us tomorrow or <laughs> yeah. you know Monday, you know, expecting during the holidays we're going to like make all this extra time for 100 people to come in and do a, an accounting with them. Do that with your CPA. But it is a good time to make sure, hey, if I'm in the 22 bracket and I know I'll probably be in a higher bracket in the future, how much of this money can I convert to a Roth this year and stay in the 22% bracket? Because I know in the future, when the Trump tax cuts go away in three years, 2026, they go back to what they used to be. I'm going to be in the 25 or 28 bracket. I'd rather pay 22 now and be done with it than pay 28 later. If that's the case, well then, you know, maximize whatever bracket you're in. If, you know, maybe you're like the one of the questions that I just answered in the on the call-ins when people say, you know, can I just live on savings and wait to take Social Security? I have no other income. How much should I take? Well, shoot, in that case, definitely max out. If you're living on savings or after-tax money or even other Roth money, you can still convert 
28000 a year to your Roth or take it out and live on it either way and leave the Roth money where it is to continue to grow. And that's that's a smart tax plan too if you're in a zero bracket. My opinion would be, you know, if your Social Security and RMDs are going to push you in a 25% or better bracket, I'd really try to run that thing up as high as I could, at least at the 22, maybe even the 24 possibly. But definitely don't not fill up your 12% bracket. I mean, that one goes up to about, you know, mid 80s as far as taxable income. So you can have over $100,000 in gross income and only pay taxes at max of 12%, some at zero, some at 10, and some at 12%, up to, you know, close to 100,000 in total income or a little bit more, depending on your deductions and filing status. But bottom line is, you know, you should have the plan in place and then every year you find the most convenient time to talk to your advisor about how much you're going to move or you just have a systematic plan to do it if you've got a fixed income or a, uh, an exact level income that you're going to set up either through an annuity that pays exactly the same amount every month or every year. Uh, it might even come out of an IRA so you know it's taxable. It might come out of a Ross so you know it's not taxable. It might come out of another account where you can determine what the taxes are going to be. So you can predetermine a really close guess of what your tax liability is going to be every year if you have a plan that goes out. We do that plan. We do it for a few decades uh, into the future. What your expected tax rate will be based on the laws we know in existence now. And if we take this much money out of IRAs, this much money out of other things, and if you have an assumed rate of return on your bank money at you know two or three or four or whatever you choose, then that's going to be taxable whether you use it or not. We can plug all those numbers in to a tax plan to find out where you're at at the end of every year. And you don't have to wait till the end of year to try to cram in a visit. You can do it throughout the year. You can do it in June. You can do it in January. It doesn't matter when you convert, you know, uh, especially if it's converting a Roth, you know, try to do it before the uh, prices are so high you pay more tax on the conversion. I mean, anytime there's a lull in the market, it's a great time to start, you know, doing conversions. You know, we had one last year. It was a great time to do extra conversions last year because the market was down 20 or 30%. So if you had market-based money, great time to move it. Uh, this year, uh, you know, if you think there's still some downside ahead, and I, I do. I think there's some choppy markets probably ahead and that may be a little downside. You know, might still be some upside. You might still be smart to do it right now. But if you need the tax deduction, now you're going to have to just assume or just going to have to take whatever the market gives you. You're not really in a position to try to plan, you know, when the market's hot or cold or when you want to make that move so much. So again, you know, maybe next year's uh, conversions, you try to wait for a dip in the market or some sort of a, a reason why the Fed's going to lower interest rates, which probably means that we're a little sluggish in the economy, but that's also a good time to buy because once uh, he starts lowering interest rates, it creates liquidity, the market gets better. So again, there are all kinds of factors that you probably would want to run by a financial advisor that you know keeps track and looks at the market, looks at trends, looks at those timing type things as far as your tax breaks go as well, and not just wait until the last three days of the year. We're talking about tax planning tips with Jeff Vogan here at Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management in Tucson and Mesa. Our telephone number, 520-780-9059. Jeff, is there any reason why you would want to defer income from assets that you have? Well, absolutely. I mean, not necessarily defer income from assets. You're talking about IRAs and that kind of a thing. And mostly it's just when do you want to pay taxes? When you're in a higher tax bracket or when you're in a lower tax bracket? Or you just want to kick the can down the road as far as you can and hope the taxes don't go up so much that it feels like you're getting kicked in the gut when you have to end up paying them. There are people that have enough saved that it's almost impossible to come up with any credible assumption that they'll be in a lower tax bracket in the future, especially during RMD, required minimum distribution age after age 73 currently and going up to 75 after 2033. But uh, bottom line is if you know you're going to be in a higher tax bracket in the future, I'd rather pay tax now if you can. I mean, why not pay while you have less money now at a lower tax bracket than more money later on a higher tax bracket? Yet, it seems like that's kind of the mantra. The typical CPA is like, oh no, I'm going to get you all the deduction I can this year. We'll worry about that next year. We'll worry about that next year. You keep kicking your can down the road, you're going to be in a higher tax bracket. Now, if you're working, for example, 
and making 200,000 a year and you think you're going to be living on $100,000 or half that, you know, when you retire, you're going to be a different tax bracket. It's going to be lower. Don't do Roth conversions this year. In fact, keep getting the tax deduction for your 401ks and your IRAs and any type of tax deferral you can do. 457B, if they're available, a tax deferred at work. Some companies say, you know, you can defer what's called deferred comp plans. Typically they're under the code 457 instead of 401k but or 401. But um, you can check with your HR department say, you know, I can already practice living on 100 or 120,000 a year because that's what I'm going to do in retirement in a few years anyway. Why don't I just defer the other 80 to $100,000 that I'm going to be making and let that just become part of my retirement plan that I can spend over time. And then once you retire, you can decide maybe to convert those contributions, maybe that 100000 a year, you convert back into a, a Roth IRA. So you pay taxes for the next, let's say you're 60 and you do this for the next five years. So you're getting income for five years, but deferring five years of income, then for the following five years, before you even age 70, you take that deferred comp and you roll it into an IRA or or in a Roth IRA and get a tax deduction. You have to pay taxes on it, but you have a lower tax bracket because you're no longer earning 200 a year. You're still kind of in that same tax bracket. And then by the time you retire at 70 and you're done doing this money game playing, then here you are at a place where you may not have to pay taxes into the future or a lot less taxes into the future. Again, it's not a crystal ball, but it's a predictable future income amount plan that with all you know historical rates and assumptions in mind and being a little more conservative than those, you know, we can we can have a really close guess on how your tax situation is going to look in the future and make sure that you don't do anything uh, a little bit too aggressive now to ruin yourself now or in the future. And if it makes sense to defer some income, you know, let's try to defer some income either through Roth uh, or either through uh, IRA or 401k contributions, uh, charitable deductions, or just deferred compensation if your company or your situation offers it. So Jeff, let's talk about some good news for uh, 2024. I understand that the standard deduction is also going up. Uh, yeah, that is good news. We just talked about that. You know, there's, it's around 28000 now. It's going to uh, over 29000 29200 for a married couple, um, half that for a single person. But if you're over 65, you get a little bump on that. It's a little over $1,500 for a married couple. And really weird, it's actually 1900 something for a, a single. I'm not looking at the chart right now, but the, uh, you get the gist. It's, it's basically skewed in your favor. 90% of the people that file taxes don't use itemized. Uh, first of all, the CPA or the tax guy is going to charge you more for it. And uh, you probably have a, most people have struggle, single or married, of hitting that level unless they're super charitable, super high interest rates on their house or a lot of uh, uh, medical deductions now. So it can happen. I mean, I just because of uh, different things that I do, I, I definitely itemize mostly through charities and things like that. But I mean, you know, if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. But the standard deduction that, you know, makes you a few extra hundred dollars you can keep in your pocket next year just based on that. So, yeah, there's a there's a, a ray of hope and a little spot of sunshine there. If you have questions, you want to sit down with Jeff and talk about your retirement journey, which will include a tax plan. Do it now sooner than later. That's a great way to get 2024 off to the right start is to sit down with Jeff and talk about your retirement journey. Again, no cost and no obligation for this retirement review. That number to call 520-780-9059. 520-780-9059. You can also request it online at primred.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Well, Jeff, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time but most of all, I want to thank the fine people here of the greater Tucson area for joining us. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for being a part of our radio program. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk.
Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.